do we need test kits? Uh, unless we can widely distribute them, in which case, of course we need them so we can map the thing out. But until then, I mean, should we only reserve them for high-risk people? I agree. I think that it's the same for chloroquine um, or Plaquenil, as it's known. Right now, the, the doctors that, are, that I know that are on, these, on the front lines, as we say, it's, it's, it's desperate times, and we need to keep them healthy. Otherwise, we're all in trouble. performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today's cool fact of the day is that it's now possible to predict empathy in brains even when they're at rest. And you might be saying, Dave, what the hell? You're recording this in the middle of a pandemic and you're talking about empathy. You're a bad person. Well, it's exactly that part of your brain that I'm talking to right now because it turns out UCLA scientists have shown it's possible to predict empathy from brain activity when you're just chilling, which is what you're supposed to be doing right now unless you're trying to work from home over internet technology that only kind of sort of works. In this new study, researchers wanted to know how accurately they could predict whether someone was likely to be empathetic or not, which is really a big deal. So they just said, hey, what does your brain do when you're not paying attention using fMRI? And then they use machine learning, which is the cool stuff. And what they found was just looking at brainwaves were comparable to questionnaires that they use for standard empathy assessment. So what you do when you're not paying attention is as good as you filling out a survey to figure out whether you really, really, really give a shit about other people or not. Uh, one other thing you could do to measure that would be, have you decided that you're going to stay at home even though you're personally at low risk of getting uh, this COVID virus? And the answer there is, well, if you are staying at home and limiting your exposure to others, you probably have some empathy to, for others, or at least you're susceptible to shaming, uh, which is what I'm doing right now. On that note, this is a special episode focused on COVID, on pandemics, on the coronavirus, with one of the really smart, groundbreaking, amazing humans working in the anti-aging field, a guy who's been on the show before, very, very popular guest. He's been on uh, the Joe Rogan Show, many, many national TV and radio shows talking about how we're going to live way longer than anyone thinks. And so we're in alignment on that. And one of the things that matters to living a long time is, well, not dying, step one. And we're going to talk about the pandemic. I'm talking about none other than Dr. David Sinclair, who is a professor in the Department of Genetics at Harvard Medical School. And he looks at biological mechanisms of aging uh, at Harvard. And is just a shockingly smart guy. If you haven't read his anti-aging opus that just came out, Lifespan, you're missing out. And since you don't have to commute, you should read it right now. On that note, Dr. David Sinclair, i.e. PhD, not MD, welcome to the show. Tell us about your research brain and what you've looked at about COVID, and we're going to go deep on this virus. Uh, hey, Dave. Thanks uh, for having me back on. Um, yeah, it's uh, a very interesting time for for us scientists, well, I've been uh, very busy. Um, I'm also a microbiologist. I'm a geneticist. I've got a company working on the front lines making test kits to, to discover and track the virus. Um, so, yeah, it's been very busy these last few weeks. Um, I think a, a lot of us thought that we might have some time off with our families being sent home. Uh, we wound our lab down a couple of weeks ago, but it's been busier than ever. Um, and mainly because I, I think we all or most of us want to be useful. And the way I'm being useful is talking to people, my friends on the front line, trying to distribute goods uh, to people I know in the industry, 
as well as kits from China. It's, it's been crazy. Is it kind of creepy that in Lifespan, this is your book about how we're going to live a long time, you actually call out the 1918 influenza H1N1 and you say straight up, the gains in life expectancy we've witnessed over the past 120 years could be wiped out for a generation unless we address the greatest threat to our lives, other life forms that seek to prey on us. Uh, do you have a crystal ball or you're just generally worried about that on principle? Uh, no, I'm generally worried about that. Okay. Um, I, before this happened, it w- was pretty obvious to me as someone who was already working on a, on a company uh, that was detecting viruses that these things were going to attack. Uh, you know, Bill Gates was sounding the alarm years ago. Um, you know, unfortunately, it, it, it's come. It's here. Um, though it's not the worst virus that could have come, it is really bad. Um, but I think it's also a good, it's good practice for the really big one that's probably going to come later in our lifetimes. I want to ask you the most awkward question uh, that may be on a lot of people's minds, and I'm going to sound like a total jerk uh, for asking it. Is... COVID-19 taking out people who were going to die of other things anyway because they were unhealthy. In other words, in Italy, you know, the average age was 80.1%. The average person who died had three other serious comorbidities. They were already, I'm going to call it half dead. Uh, not in a bad way, uh, but I respect my elders. Uh, the older someone is, the more I want to interview them because they have the most mileage to share. Uh, but is this is this as big of a threat as we think it is, given that it seems to be taking out the people who are vulnerable, who are going to get really harmed by almost any infectious thing? These are the people who die of pneumonia, who die of flu, who die of cardiovascular failure because they're near the end and because their biological energy isn't where it should be. Is that a question that's even worth asking or am I just a jerk? Uh, well, no comment. Oh, so uh, I'm no, just a jerk. Yeah, thanks, man. <laughs> Well, you know, I work at Harvard Medical School. Our goal in life over there is to keep everybody alive and healthy as long as we can. That's what we, we it, pledge to it's do. It's a noble um, goal, and I'm not, I'm not saying anything bad about that. I support it. The thing is, you guys kind of suck at it. <laughs> I mean, I hate to tell you, these people are already they're suffering from three big comorbidities. They have cardiovascular disease. They have cancer. They have diabetes. You didn't solve those yet. So yeah, not, what else not is everyone. going to come along and be the, the, the straw that, or the, whatever the, the piece of straw that breaks the camel's back. Okay. Mr. Controversy. Uh, <laughs> the, so not everyone has illnesses, underlying illnesses. That's, dying. that's important. Okay. Yes, yeah. Yesterday, I was aware of someone I, in my network who died at age 29, okay. who was healthy. So there's bad stuff happening. But you're right. There are a lot of people who haven't taken good care of themselves in life. They've got diabetes. Uh, they've got heart disease. Or they've just aged. And the reason that I wrote my book is to say we don't have to all end up like that. There are Thank things you. we can do in our lives. As you know, I follow your stuff. Uh, we can push that off till much later and be healthy in our 80s and, and even our, our 90s. And if you're healthy in your 80s and 90s, it's unlikely that this is going to get you. Okay. Let's, in fact, one of the most popular videos I've done on Instagram, I hashtagged it Corona Muffin. And I was looking like I was eating a big sugary muffin from a green logo. Right? Yeah. And the reason it was popular is I'm like, guys, I'm flying home and I'm going to go self-isolate because I don't want a hospital surge. And, and I'm doing it for you. 
right? Because you're older, you have more knowledge because you're immunocompromised, whatever the deal is. But I'm buying you time and so are you know, billions of other people so that you can take steps right now to become more resilient. How realistic is it that someone who's at moderate risk of having something serious happen, that they can move the needle in the next 60 or 90 days to become a little bit less than moderate risk? Like, How fast does it move? It can move really quickly. I mean, you're not going to cure your diabetes in a few weeks. That would be un, unexpected. You but know. you can lower your well, blood think, sugar, right? You can definitely. So, you know, I, I agree with what you're saying, which is if you ever had a good motivation, a good reason to stop being healthy and stop eating crap and eating lots of sugar and processed food, especially the sugar and carbohydrates, now is that time. Stop it right now. There you go. Uh, and then move. Get up off the couch. Don't. Don't just watch movies in the spare time that you have now. Move, go. If you can't get out of the house, you know, I'm, some of us are lucky. I'm lucky here to be on Cape Cod. We can go for a walk. But if you're in the middle of New York, you know, star jumps or something like that, what I'm doing. Um, star jumps? Example, is that if, jumping jacks for, for America? Jumping jacks. Okay, got yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Just making sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I still have some Australian in me. The, uh, but what I've done, so I used to do workouts, profe- well, not professionally, but, but with a trainer every Sunday mm-hmm. for two and a half, three hours. I've now said, you know, I'm, I'm 50, I've, I'm at risk. I'm gonna get even fitter than I was already. Uh, I'm eating better, I'm trying to eat super healthy, but I also, I've upped my exercise. I'm now exercising as much as my body can take at my age. So I'm doing at least three days a week of high intensity uh, exercise, as well as weightlifting with a, with a trainer through uh, the internet. Is this cardio or is this weights? It's mostly weights. Okay. Um, a lot of hip hinge, a lot of big muscles trying to get get those okay. strengthened. But also I need to get, we all need to get our lungs in, in order. That's what's going to be attacked first. Um, and that's what probably will do us in if we get this. So two, two questions for you there. Uh, one is I've seen studies that say that doing lots of endurance cardio might make you at higher risk or lower your immunity. So- is that an issue? I mean, if someone's going to going to spin for three hours a day, is that going to be worse than spending for an hour a day or doing something else? Yeah, yeah, I, I've seen that. Uh, so what what I'm doing is is short bursts okay. of high intensity high intensity interval training. I, there's so much evidence behind that. I mean, I'm I'm one of many voices uh, for years who have been saying, guys, this is what science says. So you're on board with that. What about this overtraining phenomena? When people have lots of emotional stress, lots of you know loneliness stress, lots of job stress, i.e. 10 million people probably just got laid off last week, uh, and maybe they're not sleeping very well as a result of it, do they really want to do high-intensity interval training, or is it going to actually mess with their cortisol so much that their risk goes up? Well, you do what feels right okay. to you, I think. Um, but I think that the, the fact that we're indoors and, and all going slightly crazy Exercise yeah. is really good for stress. So, so you, you've got to move and you've got to do yeah. enough exercise for stress, but maybe not get fully exhausted every single day. Um, That's, yeah, yeah. You don't want your body to, to be damaged too badly. So I, I, I work out enough so that I feel a little bit sore the next day, but not a lot. Not a lot. You don't okay. want to be really overdoing it at this I, point. That's true. The reason I'm calling this out is that the average human on earth is probably is an issue. There's a lot of bulletproof people who are like, you know, I'm a senior executive at my company and I'm going to do uh, Iron Man and I'm going to start a new company and I'm going to write a book. And, and like, they're a little bit nuts. And so if you're one of those human beings who's listening to this, 
look, there is a wall and you can use Bulletproof and you can read life and you can move the wall way out, but you can still go so fast because you built up speed that you hit the wall. Now is not the time to blow out your biology with you know ultra, ultimate endurance training. So yes, stay really strong and I'm, I'm with you there. Yeah. Okay. Next up, uh, general actions for virus immunity, things that you're thinking about. And I want you to talk about supplements, drugs, whatever you can, because you're one of those researchers who's willing to, hey, look what resveratrol does. You know, here's how I take it in the morning. So you're, you're willing to put one foot on either side of the fence instead of being dogmatic on either one. So give it to me straight. How do I make myself stronger against viruses? And then we'll go into specifically this one. <clears throat> uh, sure. Well, the, there's plenty of drugs but, uh, that are being tested, but uh, we can maybe touch on yeah. those later. We don't all have access to those. Um, but what I'm doing at home is uh, keeping up my vitamin D levels. That's clearly uh, important. Rhonda Patrick has talked about that online. Uh, I'm still skipping breakfast um, and trying to eat a very late lunch. I didn't eat lunch today till about four o'clock today. Um, so that, that period of intermittent fasting has been shown, uh, at least in animals, uh, to, to boost in the immune system and shut down chronic inflammation. So I'm continuing to do that. Uh, but I'm not starving myself. I'm not doing three days fasting. I think that that might put your body, like you say, into a bit too much stress. Uh, but I am trying to get my blood sugar down. My blood sugar is typically uh, a bit above what I would, would like. I'm not diabetic yet. Uh, but I'm doing what you said, which is avoiding uh, eating these uh, these you know donuts. I don't eat them normally, but it's even harder now that we're at home and it's easy to just go to the cupboard and snack on something. You, you or, actually or keep donuts at home? No, but but my kids, I've got three teenage kids and they, they have a fair amount of crap you um, know if it all disappeared they wouldn't be able to go out and get more i mean what a time to put them on a good diet by the way they hate me right now for saying that i'm just kidding yeah <laughs> they'd hate well, you I if you did that a, i get it just had a look my my lovely wife sandra is cooking uh wiener schnitzel for dinner oh, beautiful um, which it's going to be good occasionally you got to live a little but mostly i'm trying to be very healthy with what i eat and how much i eat okay. in terms of the actual food I'm trying my best, and I think we should all try our best to still eat fresh food, but it's getting harder and harder for obvious reasons. Um, but if you can't eat super fresh food, what I'm turning to is, is quote-unquote, fresh frozen food. I think that's still better than the, the cans and the, the boiled pasta that uh, a lot of us are turning to I, during this time. I was, I was really refreshed to see a photo of the, of the shelves at a Whole Foods. The entire pasta aisle had been cleaned out except for garbanzo bean pasta. No one would touch that shit. Garbanzo beans are nasty. Okay, this is proof. It, it's I'd rather starve than eat garbanzo beans. So if you're one of the people who skipped over those, hallelujah, brother. Um, all right, so I would say garbanzo beans are inflammatory, especially pasta-like stuff for a lot of people. Um, are there specific mm -hmm. foods that you would say, like, don't do that? I'm, I'm assuming sugar's there. But are there other kryptonite foods in your own program or your own house that you're like, I, I'm not going to do that? Um, probably about half of what's in the cupboard. <laughs> <laughs> wow, the truth comes out. Cupboard shaming. Yeah. I'm pretty strict on that. But, but this, um, okay, so what would you not eat though? Like, like that you think people are eating maybe mistakes they're making. Well, I, I don't know, Dave. Did, did you ever wear a, one of those glucose monitors to and, see how your body? In goes? fact, I just finished three months. I've got a new order of them that just came in, so I'll be sticking one on later today. The CGMs, yeah. Yeah, so I was wearing one. I don't have one right now, but uh, I learned a lot about my body. Um, just like I was talking with Rhonda Patrick about this, the the. White rice, boiled rice, shoots our blood sugar way up. And so I, I try to avoid 
any rice, but particularly white rice. It, it's interesting. Uh-huh. So yeah. we're we're opposites there. Uh-huh. So for you, yeah. is it for for? I mean, everyone responds differently to different different carbs. Uh, what I'm doing with white rice because it's one of the ones that has the least amount of inflammatory other molecules attached that provides a source of starch. Is I will put uh, a brain octane or some people do coconut oil. I just don't like that taste while it's cooking, and then you can cool it. And when you cook it and cool it, it makes a lot of resistant starch. And then what I'm doing is I'm pounding it into a Japanese thing called mochi, and then I add two cups of inner fuel, which is a prebiotic. And at that point, mm. it tastes amazing, but I'm getting so much filling stuff, you can't eat very much, and I've blunted whatever blood sugar I was getting. Uh, mm. But even then, I'd rather have a little bit of sushi with a lot of, a lot of fat and fish and some sushi rice than zero carbs for years on end, because that seems like that might not be good either. Uh, but for you, it's interesting. Rice is just off every time. What about um, gluten and flour and things like that? Is that also off? Uh, well, I'm also, uh, my wife is also a baker. So I this fresh bread in the house. It's hard. Oh, man. Um, I try not to eat uh, bread. Just I also found that was yeah. really bad for my glucose to shoot up. So what do I try to do? I eat, I eat that we have vegetables in the fridge. So when I feel like snacking, I'll grab some little baby carrots and that kind of stuff, some Pickles, I find, are, are pretty mm-hmm. good. That's that's my go-to okay. uh, fruit. We, we, we're we running out of fresh fruit, but usually I grab an apple if I'm in need of some sugar. Uh, and that's, I think that's a better thing for most people is a slow release. Sure. Eating eating grapes, is for me, is terrible. Yeah, grapes will do it. Well just pop a, a, a cube of sugar into your mouth. Um, yeah, okay. so... So I, sugar I control's big. Sugar down. Let's talk about vitamin D3. So, I mean... Everyone uh, in in my community, going back twenty years, has been saying vitamin D three. You know the anti aging nonprofit Silicon Valley crowd. And over time, I, at first, I was saying don't take vitamin A because it actually fights against vitamin D three. But the evidence over the last ten years has come in that you need some preformed vitamin A, not that beta carotene vegetable crap, but the kind that comes from actually eating liver or eating animals, and. So today, my recommendations are you know, vitamin D3. It's you know, usually 10,000, maybe even 15,000 I use, but 10,000 I use of vitamin A. And if you start getting sick, taking 100,000 I use of vitamin A and cranking up your vitamin D on, for that first three days. Have you seen anything uh, about that? Do you have any thoughts about A versus D? Uh, well, I know a little bit about D, not so much about A. It sounds like uh, you're the A expert in this conversation. I mean, I know about vitamin D and that uh, immune cells require yeah. uh, a certain amount. And I know by measuring myself, I also use Inside Tracker, uh, where I consult in full disclosure. Uh, and so I know my vitamin D levels drop, quote unquote, dangerously low during winter. So I, I'm trying to make sure that that doesn't happen. So I'm taking uh, at least 2,000 units a day with my family as well. Um, but it, it's pretty clear that if you don't keep your levels of vitamin D up, um, at the same levels as you have in summer, you can lose some of your immunity and now would not be the time to do that. Okay. What about resveratrol, NAD, uh, things like that? Uh, what's your take for viruses? Yeah. So I've been looking at this a lot because I'm, I'm asked every day, uh, by people on the internet. Now the, the issue with these two molecules in terms of giving a straight answer is that there's evidence before, uh, for and against. And most of it comes from animals. Uh, but 
I can, you know, just for the sake of uh, discussion, I can tell you what I've learned. So the, the genes that we work on, um, they're called sirtuins. And anyone who's read my book will know a fair bit about these. These genes make enzymes that control our body's natural defenses against um, any insult, whether it's diseases of aging or infections. And in fact, the sirtuins are very good at uh, combating viral infections in the Petri dish and in some cases in mice where it's been tested. Um, and I, I tweeted about this this morning, actually. What we now realize is that these sirtuins, they need NAD to work. Uh, and we also have shown many times that resveratrol is an activator. And the way to think of it is that NAD is the fuel for the sirtuin enzymes and the resveratrol is the accelerator pedal. Now, even though that all sounds great, you might say, well, I'm just going to go and <clears throat> give myself grams of NAD precursors to raise my NAD and I'm going to take resveratrol. Um, there's some caveats. One is that uh, resveratrol can, in mice, raise the levels of the ACE2 mm -hmm. protein, the enzyme on the outside of your lung cells, uh, your epithelial cells. And that would be a bad thing, right? You don't want to let the virus have more targets to get into cells. Uh, I think probably everybody is now knows that that is how the virus gets into our body. And, and by the way, smoking specifically in the lungs, inhaling, vaping, or smoking raises ACE2 uh, on, in your lung tissues, uh, which is one of those reasons that smokers really get trashed by the virus, right? Yeah, I'm sure that that's part of it. Um, there's all sorts of problems yeah. with smoking, <laughs> True uh, that. including increasing your biological age, which is, is I think, part of the whole problem for the, for the people who are succumbing. Um, so the, let's see. So we've got the, the resveratrol is increasing, increasing ACE2. Oh, by the way, while we're on the topic, um, these beta blockers, the, the ACE2 inhibitors, mm -hmm. I don't want anyone to panic. They should consult their doctor. But there's a, a discussion uh, among scientists that it, it might actually not protect against the virus, but make things potentially worse by upregulating yeah. the ACE2. It's going to cause you to make more ACE2 receptors because you don't have enough ACE2 because you didn't deal with your stress problem. <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. I, I hate to put it that bluntly, but I have some very close friends. I've said, look, I know you have stage fright. You almost wet your pants. You're, you know, a 40 year old grown man. Um, take a, you know, take a beta blocker before you go on stage. And they're like, oh my God, I can speak again. I'm like, yeah, but you haven't dealt with your underlying stress condition. You've just hacked the problem. So maybe for people on blood pressure, uh, blood pressure meds like that, it's not time to panic, but get yourself a mask and some gloves and some hand sanitizer and be a little more religious about your social distancing than you already are supposed to be because you should put yourself in the I'm at high risk category until we know more. True statement? Um, yeah, I think avoiding medicines when you can change your lifestyle is always but, preferable. But even if you go off of your blood pressure medication tomorrow and you don't you know, die of popping a vein, which is a risk if you do that, or your kidneys can fail. So like, I'm, no one's going to advocate that. Uh, but even if you did go off of it, you'll probably have upregulated receptors for at least three or four months, which is the window where you really don't want to be at risk. So I'd, if, I was, if I had been taking those meds, given what you just said, I'd, I'd just say, look, I need to stay socially isolated. I need to be more strict on my quarantine than maybe I thought I would have been before. Your risk level just went up a notch. You're, you're yeah. still, you're not dead. It's not a death sentence. It's just, we all tweak our behavior uh, based on 
you know, how, how much we think we'll live. You know, when they put in airbags, people didn't put their seatbelts on nearly as much. Just a little tweak there because ah, I'm safe enough. Right. So just you're you're not as safe enough as you thought you were, is all I'm saying. Um, okay. Yeah, it's it's true. Actually, it, it comes to mind that I'm, I'm surprised some entrepreneur hasn't started up a website with uh, a survey and give you a, a percent chance of dying. Uh, you know. Oh my God, how how dirty would that be? Like, if you're an entrepreneur, and you do that. At least make it free or donate every single penny you make to charity because your your data is all crap and we know it. <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, well, get just getting back yeah. on onto the the topic. NAD is also confusing. So NAD Im- improves serotonin activity. You need NAD for oh, at least 450 enzymatic reactions in every one of your cells. Without NAD, you'd be dead and you need it to survive. Um, it's very important. But is it better to have more than usual? It's questionable because there's one study that shows that NAD is very protective against inflammation and, and hyperinflammation, which can lead to death in a small number of uh, people. But also it can backfire. There's a study that showed that if you block NAD synthesis, you can actually uh, improve things. So it's a, it's a confusing. So the bottom line, Dave, and everyone listening is, uh, I'm, I'm still taking resveratrol on my NMN. Uh, I believe that that is probably helping my health. Um, but I think if you're not taking anything like that and you have uh, any concerns about it, it's not worth the risk right now. Okay. I get a lot of questions from people and I do my very best to answer them just in the comments thread on Instagram and all uh, about saying, look, David, it's great that your kids are taking 16 pills a day. Yes, my 10 year old's taking 16 pills in the morning um, and he's happy after the first 10 or up to the first 10. After that, he's a little pissed, but whatever. So the question is, if I only have a small amount of money, like give me a stack ranked. Like what are the most important and cheapest ones? A D3 clearly has to be there because it's dirt cheap and it's, you know, it's pretty darn effective. But, uh, and if I'm wrong there, tell me. What else is on your, your short list of affordable things that almost everyone can afford? Uh, all right. So the full list uh, is in my book, yeah. uh, page three, 304, because I'm going to forget some stuff. But so my morning routine is is the following. And it's all cheap. Yeah. You know, I'm not... What am I taking that's expensive? Probably the, the NAD booster is the yeah, most that's expensive. expensive. Yeah, but normally, so I'd wake up in the morning, I have one or two little spoonfuls of homemade yogurt that uh, I think is good for my microbiome. I mix into that a teaspoonful of resveratrol, which is very cheap, so that resveratrol is good. Um, I will maybe take some quercetin, or quercetin, some people call it, uh, for a couple of reasons. One is it, it seems to also... Uh, inhibit viral replication. It, it seems pretty promising. Uh, yeah. What kind of dose of quercetin? Uh, what I, I take 500 milligram okay. capsules. Uh, you know, I, sometimes I take two of them. It depends on how I'm actually feeling. I, I know my body well enough that uh, I can change mm-hmm. things. Uh, so quercetin is good. And it, it also increases the half-life of resveratrol. Yeah, the, the resveratrol half-life is... Uh, greater when you take quercetin. Okay. I've seen some studies okay. around quercetin and viral, viral stuff, and my protocol right now is I'm doing 600 milligrams. Uh, I'm doing it either two or three times a day, and I'm doing the same uh, for my wife and kids. My kids are 100 pounds, so I'm treating them like adults from that perspective. Relatively high dose, only for this time, for this you know next three months or something, uh, until it's more summer, we have more natural immunity, until we're past whatever mm-hmm. the potential risks are. I, I think 
its effects with vitamin C are also pretty strong. And speaking of vitamin C, what's your take on vitamin C? Yeah, so vitamin C is the next on the list. So I take a, um, a liposomal or liposomal um, vitamin C. Um, I, I think that it's not going to hurt. Uh, I think I take just uh, 500 milligrams, which is a moderate dose. But there's a, there's a lot of evidence uh, that it can help your immunity. So I've started taking it more recently. I've what been think? a huge fan for many years because my original mentors were all orthomolecular physicians, You know what we used to call functional medicine before it had that name of the Linus Pauling lineage, you know, 90 grams a day of vitamin C will keep the doctor away uh, kind of thing. And you know, mega dose vitamin C drips and all that. The evidence is pretty strong, but for the mega dosing protocols that have been used for helping out with viruses, you know, we take it to bowel tolerance where you just keep taking it until you get the runs and then you back off a little bit and you do that for three or four days while you're recovering. There's, this has been used for a long time. There's some pretty good evidence there. You can't do with liposomal C. I love the daily liposomal C, but you'd get so much fat to get 20 grams of vitamin C in your body that you'd literally be pooping liposomes and you wouldn't be absorbing it. And that's gross. Uh, it's much worse than the vitamin C poops. So you got to have some straight ascorbic acid, which by the way, if you buy a pound of ascorbic acid powder, almost everyone can afford that. It's a little bit more expensive than flour, but it's not that expensive. Okay. okay. Uh, good. Um, um, zinc is very cheap. Okay. And right now it's a good idea to take zinc. I'm taking 40 milligrams. 40 milligrams, that's a pretty good dose. What flavor of zinc do you like? Um, mine just is tastes like chalk. No, I mean like zinc gluconate, zinc oxide. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have to go check on the on the container. It just says zinc on there. I didn't look at what type. Okay. I'm a fan of zinc orotate. That's, uh, that's what I put in the, the zinc copper uh, formula that I did for Bulletproof just because the orotates fit into the mitochondrial stack in a different way than most things, but there's zinc monomethionine, different flavors. I would say at this point, um, unless you're also dealing with some gut problems, uh, there's uh, almost any form of zinc is good, but zinc carnosine works really well for people with GI problems in a, in a special way. Uh, but right now, any zinc is better than no zinc. Um, okay, what about copper? Is that on your list? Uh, no, okay. should it be? You know, the balance of zinc and copper can get out, but without copper testing, I tell most people take low doses of copper, if any, because half of us are copper toxic, the other half have too much zinc and we're imbalanced and it's, it's messy. So uh, in, in my formula, I put some copper, but not as much as I did zinc, so I could capture the biggest share of people who needed it. Okay. Yeah, so the, there's something uh, that I've added to my diet recently. There was a publication that came out since we last spoke that said that oleic acid is both... Uh, an edible form of a sirtuin activator and is produced when we're, fa when we're fasting, when we're hungry. Our fat degradation produces oleic acid. And it works exactly down to the molecular level the same way resveratrol works. It binds to the SIRT1 enzyme and activates it, this accelerator pedal. So I've, uh, I'm using more olive oil, fresh olive oil in my, in my diet, in, just as dressing on salads. But I also, I researched this uh, fairly extensively. I have a, a little uh, capsule uh, gel cap that has a whole bunch of different oils in it, but a very high level of oleic acid. And uh, yeah, it seems to be very healthy when I looked at the effects of this molecule. Very cool. I, I actually haven't seen that one study, but there are other studies in one of my herbal manuals for viral and bacterial stuff. And uh, they do talk about uh, hydroxytyrosol, which is another major component of olive oil. 
And so I do in my regular salad, it's half brain octane, half olive oil, vinegar, and in whatever other stuff I want to blend together, avocados and whatever else to make it. I took, put prebiotics in there too. Um, but I, I also take a hydroxytyrosol capsule, which has about 100 bottles worth of olive oil in it. Uh, sort of like the resveratrol of wine, but hydroxytyrosol is the resveratrol of olive oil, if that makes sense. Um, mm -hmm. Any thoughts on hydroxytyrosol or is that outside your sphere of influence? Yeah, that is outside. I'm going to now uh, look it okay. up. Okay, it's, it's cool stuff. Uh, I, I put a little bit of it in, I think it's in my omega krill oil, if I remember right. I put a bunch of other stuff in there that isn't normal, but I have to go back and look at my ingredients to see. I, I know I've lobbied for it, but whether I got it past my regulatory people, I don't know. Um, yeah. Um, okay, so what I, else? You know, we could go all day. Yeah. I, I'm taking alpha lipoic acid. How, many, how much? Me too. Uh it's a pretty large capsule. I'd have to check, but it's probably 500. At, at least five. Yeah, it's about 500, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Got it. So I'm doing ALA a one gram morning and night for my body weight. I'm about in 205 right now. Uh, so my kids are getting it once a day. Uh, it's just in the morning. They didn't used to get it, but I've added it in recently. Yeah. Well, it's actually, it, it seems to be helpful uh, for viral infections. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Oh, and you know how. Um, I think a lot of people would have read in the New York Times or elsewhere that a loss of smell is a potential symptom of, of COVID-19. And I looked up what, what's the cure or what's a potential cure for that. And it was alpha lipoic acid, which was great news because I was already taking it. Nice. And uh, I'll tell you very briefly why I started taking it. There's a, there was a scientist who's now unfortunately passed away, but he was, his name is Denim Harmon. And he was known for uh, the free radical theory of right. aging. Famous guy. And I, yeah, I managed to uh, meet at least his family. Uh -huh. He was in his nineties um, and at home when I visited. But uh, they said his family let me in on a little secret, which was that uh, Denim has been taking had been taking this uh, alpha lipoic acid for years, most of his life, um, mostly thinking that it was an antioxidant. And uh, he worked until his uh, early nineties. And so I figured, well, if it didn't hurt him, what's the least <laughs> that can the N equals one guinea pig, but it was a really smart guinea pig. I like that. <laughs> uh, what, what about uh, within, within alpha lipoic acid, there, there's the normal cheap stuff. There's, R, there's also our alpha lipoic acid, which is racemic. And, and the first guy to launch that came to me in, I want to say 2000, uh, before anyone knew what I was doing. And we talked about launching something. And then there's also potassium, uh, our alpha lipoic acid. Do you go for the fancy stuff or the cheap stuff? Uh, mine's the L, so just the bulk cheap the stuff. The cheap stuff, okay, cool. Is it, am I wasting my money? I don't think you're wasting your money, but there's there's more efficacy from the R versus S form. Uh, you know, it, mm. it's it's hard to know. Yeah. How, how about N-acetylcysteine? Do you do that one? Uh, no, not regularly. Okay. Um, I've got so many things working on my mitochondria. Right. I have to be careful. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, I, I take CoQ10. Uh, how much? Um, Good. Uh, it looks pretty like a about a, a mil or a gram of it. It's a pretty big capsule that I okay. take. It can't be a gram. Um, that, I mean, that's mega. I, I could just quickly go uh, next door in my bathroom, uh, okay. but it, it's, a, it's a capsule. I mean, it I, looks like- I do like, 400, um, but it's four big gel caps. It's usually about, uh, the most you'll find in any capsule that's mass available is about 300 milligrams if you're spending $100 on a bottle. Okay. Well, it's a large thing that I can barely get down my throat, okay. whatever that is. It's, it's probably between one and 300. You're taking one of those or- yeah, just one, and I've done that for a decade it's or more. So smart. CoQ10 is just like table stakes for mitochondria, from from my perspective. Yeah, and and I'm 
often criticized for taking a statin. Um, You're a bad yeah, person. Joe, Joe you, Rogan, you took a pharmaceutical was, was drug. I did. <laughs> but uh, and there, there's some evidence that that they can be harm, you know, side effects. But um, I've got to take it. My medical history mm-hmm. says that I'm, I'm going to have a short life if I don't take one of these things. I'm on a mega dose of statins and. I think most people know that you've got to balance that with CoQ10. Yeah. You're, you're wise to do that. And look, if, if you look at the data, there's a risk reward uh, for every single substance that you might possibly use, including statins. And if for you individually, the ROI is there, you take it. And for people say, I will never take a, a, any pharmaceutical drug, like you're lame. And even I will, you know, all vaccines are evil. I, I, there are cases where vaccines can cause some harm, but there are also some cases where, you know, the risk reward is probably worth it for you. Question on vaccines. Sure. So, doctor, are we done with our supplements? Are there more supplements? And then I want to go into COVID vaccines because that's going to be fun with you. Let's do that. Uh, go into vaccines? All right. Sure. So people are saying oh, we're going to have a vaccine soon. I did a video on vaccines where I talked about the amount of time it took to come out with vaccines going back to swine flu and H1N1 and all the different ones and how we have an almost perfect exponential improvement in the amount of time it takes to bring a, um, to bring a vaccine to the, the final phase of regulatory approval. So in other words, our scientists are getting better at making these vaccines. Uh, so are you hopeful that we're gonna have one? Is it going to work? Is it gonna be like a flu vaccine? You're supposed to take it every, every year if you decide it's worth the trouble. Uh, like, like what, where are we on this? All right, so here, here's my take. Um, having talked to a number of experts yeah. on this, the, the Chinese are ahead of us. China is ahead of the US. So they, start, they had a few months head start and they can also go quicker. Uh, they have you know, less bureaucracy and, and uh, human they testing whenever up. they want it. It's great over there. Right. So my, so <laughs> You agreed I, with that, David. You're supposed well, to say, I, no! It's true. It's true. <laughs> but it may help the whole planet. It I've may. Been super I agree. I've yeah. with, with China and, and the Chinese population helping us with knowledge. It, it's pretty cool, actually. <laughs> it's really good. Anyone who says that this is a Wuhan virus and puts down the Chinese. It makes me really yeah, mad. It's, it's unacceptable. Yeah. Uh, so getting back to the vaccines, I think that it's true. It's going to probably be 18 months before something is approved for wide use um, in the US. Now, if the if Chinese tests go fast and they find that it's safe, then I'm hopeful that, that we'll be able to use their technology or they'll start selling us vaccines. We'll be probably desperate enough that we'll take that on. That is at least 12 months, okay. um, right? So that's the minimum. Most likely, if we depend on American companies, it's going to be 18 months. So why is that? FDA. Now, there are some great technologies. Well, we'll get to okay. that. <laughs> great technologies. So Moderna has new technology. They started mm-hmm. their, their uh, clinical trial exactly a month ago. Uh, but you need to go through various phases. It's not like you just inject 10 people, and if they don't get sick, you're done with it. There's multiple phases. And even though I'm sure the FDA is trying to do their best, they are aware that vaccines can backfire. And I'm not talking about the usual stuff that people worry about with vaccines, the aluminum and the, all of the other stuff. Is that all bunk, what, by the way? Uh, yeah. Even the aluminum side? Uh, yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm very interested in your take on that. I'm not going to take you off track here because it'll just like create huge tribalism and anger there. Uh, 
Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have hate mail, but yeah. I'm a scientist. I have to tell you the facts. I, 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 I will I, absolutely I, listen to what you're saying here. I, I I will take more convincing that aluminum isn't a problem, uh, but I also I, it drives me nuts when people are like, oh, vaccines are bad. I'm like, you know what? It's like saying all liquids are bad. Could you tell me which vaccine for which human being at what risk level, and then we'll talk? Otherwise, STFU. Uh, that that's well, well that, that's fair. <laughs> you know, we're we're seeing hundreds of thousands of people potentially die. Now yeah. is not the time to complain about vaccines. They're our they're our main savior. Um, okay. What about so? so what, by the way, oh, Dave, on yeah. on the aluminum stuff, the 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 group that published that aluminum was correlated with Alzheimer's disease uh, was debunked. The aluminum was actually coming it, from their machines, and it, it's not actually correlated with Alzheimer's disease. There was a a big piece done with almost a hundred different references about the effects of aluminum systemically on neurological inflammation and all these other things. That was the one that was uh, it was done maybe ten years after the aluminum Alzheimer's thing. Um, that got me thinking about it, um, but you know, I, I'm I remain open-minded and questioning, and uh, I wouldn't take the COVID nineteen vaccine along with every other vaccine that's been made all at the same time because I think it might cause harm. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I, I can say something on that. Um, so it is true that if you have multiple vaccines with the same virus or the same protein over a couple of years and even three years, it's been shown you can have a, a slightly less uh, response, but we're not going to be taking the same vaccine, yeah. right? And we're not going to be taking them all at the same time, like you said. And so it's, you know, I think people are generally looking for any chink in the armor, and th there are small things like that. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to save the entire planet right now with vaccines. Okay, uh, I'm I'm actually in agreement with you there. Uh, like, look, I, you know, if we could do it with lasers from space, I would look at that too. It, it doesn't matter. Like, show me a tech that works, and I'm going to go for it. Yeah. So the 18-month timeline, the reason that it's probably going to take that long is that the FDA has to be very careful. There was a monkey study done with the SARS-1, uh, and there was a vaccine that was directed also at the spike protein that is how the current vaccines are being developed for the most part. And those monkeys actually did worse. That it, it triggered the immune system to overreact, it's believed. And so it, it's not just a matter of, oh, let's make this and give it to people and hope for the best. That The government wouldn't allow that because millions hundreds of millions of people are going to be vaccinated. Um, if you think about it, all of humanity is probably going to be vaccinated if you haven't had it before. It, it's okay. So all of us are going to be vaccinated if you haven't had it before. That's, that brings us to natural immunity. And uh, this is something that's been pretty controversial. I've said it on a couple other podcasts, but I want to get your take as a researcher on this. I live on 32 acres. I can self-isolate like no one's business. I've got enough bacon walking around in the backyard to last me for years. Okay, so so truly self-sufficient. Um, if I could get a coronavirus now, being a healthy human being with lots of resources on site, very unlikely to clog up a hospital, uh, if I could get it and have natural immunity, which would let me go out into my community and help older people shop and you know carry groceries to the hospital, whatever, right? I, I could do more than I'm doing now. I feel like it would almost be the right decision to be one of the people with natural immunity because it's a superpower right now. Um, and there have to be other people thinking about that. Is that good thinking or bad thinking? Uh, that's really dangerous, uh, yeah. especially for, for you and me. I think we're roughly the same ages. Now, we're both very healthy. You know, we, we do our best. But there's still a reasonable a non-zero chance that we will either clog up a hospital bed uh, when others need it, or we will die. And there's a third thing you have to really be careful about, 
And that is that if the body overreacts to your virus, um, you know, let's give it a 5% mm -hmm. chance that's going to happen. You, you might have long lasting damage to your lungs and to your heart. There's fibrosis that builds up uh, in the, these uh, cases. And a lot of doctors, um, including Peter Atia, who's been great yeah. about educating people, uh, we're really worried that, that, you know, five, 10 years from now, people will have these issues with their organs. So it's not like, oh, you just get it, you get over and done with, and then you just uh, become Superman. Uh, I, I definitely understand there's you know, small percentages. And also those percentages are for people who smoke and are, you know, do average things. And there's also, okay, if you're doing, if you're megadosing CoQ10, are you going to get cardiac problems from this? The odds go down. If you have intravenous vitamin C in the refrigerator behind you, the odds of having problems go down. If you have inhalable lung steroids for inflammation on, on hand, which are downstairs, the odds of this go down. You have ozone therapy sitting right next to your desk, the odds of this go down. Like I kind of feel like I can handle my shit. <laughs> I know, you're bulletproof. No, it's no just like, like, can I bring the odds low enough that, all right, I took the hit and now I can go do good things. I mean, even under those circumstances, you think our risk is so high just because of age? I mean, you're a healthy guy. Yeah, well, is, is the risk worth it? Yeah. It, it, we don't get a second chance at this. It, then again, do you believe the estimates that 50 to 70% of us are going to get this anyway? Uh, I do. I do. So if you um, got it now, you handled it well, and then you could go help other people not die from it, wouldn't that be the moral choice? Oh, I see where you're going. You're willing to take the yeah. risk. Yeah, I mean, there's something about that. But what I don't want to do is encourage young people to just go out and party. No, they, that's, that's, that's not what I'm saying. Like they, they will probably, some of them will die because the ones who really want to go out and party are probably the ones who think they're healthy young people and they're not. <laughs> oh, and alcohol? Good God, don't drink during this time. That's probably a dumb decision. At least that's my opinion. Do you agree? Uh, no. <laughs> you actually think drinking alcohol is good for... for... It's not good for you, but I, I find that uh, having a glass of red wine... Uh, with uh, my family is, is fine. Um, even just from a general immunity perspective, do you have any research back this up or you just like that it gets, enhances your GABA receptors so you can chill at night? It's, it's a glass of red wine. It's not hard alcohol and I don't drink a lot, but it does allow me to you know, relax with my family and it's a social thing as well. And I don't think one glass of wine a day is, is going to be a problem. So, so it, it's kind of like uh, half a Valium or something. It, it just kind of helps to... <laughs> it does. I'm a pretty uh, active, stressed out, ADHD yeah. kind of guy. Your brain it's goes really fast, and, and that, that's a compliment. Uh, I mean, you're you're a brilliant guy. I see how you assemble things and how rapidly you do it, and it sometimes turning your brain off. It's work. I'm I'm with you there. Um, okay, cannabis, good, bad. Well, I know that the uh, dispensaries are all open <laughs> in Massachusetts and California. Es essential medicines. You, you yeah. know why they're essential though. No. They're essential because when they said they were going to get shut down, everyone on earth went and got in line and started spreading the virus. So they said, we're going to keep them open so people will respect social distancing so they can go buy their pot. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> oh, no, I didn't know that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm, I don't see major health benefits. I'm not, I'm not keen on uh, major health issues. I'm not keen on putting anything particulate in our lungs. Smoking, it's a bad idea. Vaping, it's a bad idea right now. But okay, you can still eat it or patches or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I don't do it myself, okay. um, but uh, I have no knowledge of any downside. How about CBD oil activating endocannabinoid receptors to modulate inflammation? Is there some usefulness there? Should I prophylactically hit myself with some THC-free CBD just in case? 
Uh, well, so yeah, potentially. Yeah, I'd, I'd put it on the maybe list. If you have a bunch at home, I'd do it. It's not on my list of must-haves. Uh, Low-dose naltrexone? Um, I don't know. Don't know, okay. So again, no evidence for viruses, but for modulating inflammation, if you're one of the people who it already works for for autoimmunity, managing autoimmunity seems like a good idea. I mean, it's in my anti-aging perspectives in my book. It's one of those things I don't know either, but it's probably not a bad thing, but I wouldn't go seek it out right now. Um, what else is on your list? Uh, well, so CBD is, is CBD oil is good for uh, relaxing and going to sleep. So if you have sleep problems, okay. let's talk about sleep. Yes. I think that's a lot of, on a lot of people's minds. Uh, so I... Dave, do you do you sell uh, sleep remedies? Yes, I have a sleep mode, and I make the glasses. The True Dark glasses are patented for sleep. Oh. But you can pitch whatever you want as long as it works. I this is not about selling. This is about informing. The show's always been about informing. I talk about other vitamin companies whenever they make good stuff that I don't make. So tell me what you got. <laughs> well, I I use your glasses. I, I pres- prescribe those. For oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, but so I've um, no, they're great. I I wouldn't. Uh, not, I would wear them every night. Uh, I would recommend that. So anyway, getting back to the, the product, I just started trying something, and I'd be interested if you have something similar. It's called Dr. Parsley's Night Remedy, and it's been working really well. Oh, I know. And it's I know Kirk Parsley. Um, he's a friend. The It does work well, but last time I checked the formula, he had something called phenyl GABA in it. And I used to use phenyl GABA in something called GABA Wave as a very early Bulletproof product. But phenyl GABA is a gray market, non-FDA approved. They consider it to be a drug. And when you add a phenyl group to a GABA, the GABA becomes uh, much more bioavailable, but it sticks around for a long time. And then when you have phenyl GABA that sticks around for a long time, it has addictive properties and has a 36-hour half-life in the body. So anything with phenyl GABA is going to make you sleep really, really well, almost as well as GHB. It's one step removed. And GHB is great for sleep if you could get it. It's just you know an illegal street drug now, even though it used to be a sleep supplement. So mm. what I would say, if you're going to take anything that contains phenyl GABA, is you, you need to space it out every other day and do not ramp up your dosage because you might not like what happens. Good advice. And I, it tastes very sweet. I have to make sure that there's no... I don't think he would do that. Um, yeah. It's it's been a little while since we hung out, um, but uh, no, I, I like Kirk. You know, Navy Seal sleep doctor types tend to be into things, so he's he's cool. Um, yeah. Good. All right. Anything else you do for sleep or for supplements? And then I want to let's see. And then I want to ask you two more questions, and then we're going to go into our uh, Instagram sharing session. Uh, well, gee, I, we've covered a lot of supplements okay. or. or- we filled a whole bucket with them. We, we did, and we could... Oh, let's talk about testing really quick. A big thing that's happening is people are... They're using PCR testing, which is where you take you know, the DNA uh, and you amplify it many, many, many times. Uh, and then you see what's there. And there's also antibody testing, and there's also direct virus testing. How do you have concerns about different kinds of testing, about availability, about reliability? Just kind of walk me through the testing universe that you're aware of for COVID and, and where we are and where you think we're going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the, the U.S. really screwed up. Uh, the CDC, that their tests were not uh, reliable. And a lot of scientists are angry about that because it, it was a fairly simple mistake as far as we can tell, bad design of 
the primers, and it wasn't detected till you know, a few weeks after the, the test had come out. So that that's the main thing. Um, so what I've been doing in my small capacity is reaching out across the planet to see who needs kits. Um, and I can tell you there's a lot of desperate people out in the world, companies and hospitals, and then connecting them to uh, manufacturers, um, including a very large, the largest genetics company in China who's making these things by the hundreds of thousands, eventually millions. So there are three types of tests. The one that, that most people are using is what you, what you said, the PCR, the polymerase chain reaction test, which is a DNA amplification test. Uh, you turn the RNA in the virus into DNA and then you amplify it, you get a signal and it gives you an idea of how much virus there is and also whether it's present. It doesn't tell you what strain of virus it is. Okay. You don't know which mutations are in there, but it's the most reliable one that, that is out there. How do people there. get that one? How much does it cost? It's, well, you cannot get it. Uh, I mean, <laughs> you look in the mirror and if you, have a, if you have a fever, you have COVID, there's your test. <laughs> yeah, there, there are home tests. Um, I have one here uh, in my home, but I... Well, first of all, I'll tell you the test. It's a, it detects antibodies that you've made to the virus, and it can detect it within about 15 minutes. It's like a pregnancy wow. test. You put a drop of blood um, or serum on there. And, but, but what I heard was that these home tests, and I have to verify this because I, I find it hard to believe, is that the FDA has banned the use of testing at home, which would be really bad news. And I think How are they even allowed to do that? My body, my biology, my rights... What jurisdiction do they have over my blood? If you actually did ban that, this is a fundamental human right. You don't have a right to my information. And if I want to get a bogus test from some weird astrologer person, it's my right to do that. And I would appreciate your validation of the test that I do buy, and I will buy the test you validate, but do not block me from doing things that I choose to do. Like that's that's nasty. But but Dave, you're not qualified. Absolutely. Take my license right now. <laughs> well, you can. I thought you meant on the average person, though. <laughs> oh, I, I see what you're saying. I, I was like, yeah, I have no medical license. I'm not a doctor, right? Uh, but it, the, the the fundamental human freedom here is that no, I, I'm not qualified. But uh, when it comes down to, hey, I would like to know what's going on in my body. If I want a genetic test, I shouldn't need a permission slip for it. But it should come with a big sticker that says the FDA either doesn't hasn't validated this test or thinks it's a bunch of crap but hey you know i'm allowed to buy popcorn that isn't very good for me so why shouldn't i be able to buy a test that doesn't work they're regulated by the same agency so right right if you can smoke then you know that's far worse for you the, then the third type of test is the uh dna sequencing which gives you every letter in the thirty thousand letters okay. in the genome the virus that's the most accurate it gives you beautiful data tells you exactly where the the virus is coming from, the strain, the mutations in it. Uh, but that takes overnight to do, and it's a, it's a few hundred bucks per test. But that is the best test. And I think eventually when we do an autopsy of what's happened across the planet, uh, those type of tests will be important. Actually, what, what's really interesting is you can go to a website called nextstrain.org and look at the evolution of the virus across the planet and in almost real time. And you can see the mutations that are popping up uh, every few days. And now the question is, are those mutations bad or good for the virus um, and inversely for us? We don't know yet. Uh, mostly they, they're benign, they don't make a difference, but there is a small risk that it'll make the virus immune to our vaccine, so to speak, or it could even become more lethal. So I'm 
following that closely. Okay. Uh, I'm, uh, I have not ordered any test kits. I do have, uh, because of the relationships, the probably similar ones to what you have, I, I do have access to be able to order uh, a variety of uh, either antibody tests or the PCR tests. Uh, I'd rather those go to health providers. Uh, I don't. I don't think that I need them for my family. Uh, if we get a sniffle, we'll uh, uh, just deal with it. <laughs> We're isolated. Well, like it. It's okay. <laughs> David's good news if you get a sniffle because it's probably not COVID nineteen. Uh, exactly. Right. Uh, and even if we had some of the the minor things, if it's not getting worse, no. But I, I think hoarding test kits or having them just in case so you can be afraid. What are you going to do? Like if you're if you if you're sitting at home and you test positive. Either you're not going to need to go to the hospital or you're going to need to go to the hospital. And if you're at home and you don't test positive, either you're going to have to go to the hospital or not go to the hospital if it's just the flu or just anything else. So in terms of actionable stuff for you, you already should be self-isolating. So, I mean, do we need test kits? Uh, unless we can widely distribute them, in which case, of course, we need them so we can map the thing out. But until then, I mean, should we only reserve them for high-risk people? I agree. I think that it's the same for chloroquine um, or... Yeah. Blackmail, as it's known, right now the the doctors that are that I know that are on these on the front lines, as we say, it's 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 desperate times, and we need to keep them healthy. Otherwise, we're all in trouble. I have one more question for you, uh, but what I think we should do is uh, uh, let's get on to Instagram. I'm going to ask you this question on Instagram on the Dave Asprey channel. So I'm going to go on uh, Instagram first. We're going to stay on video, stay on audio here, so people can hear me ask the question. Uh, and they can hear your answer to it. And uh, uh, so if you're listening to this on iTunes or something, if you follow me, Dave.Asprey, at the end, whenever I'm recording a live show, I'm going to do an Instagram with guests uh, going forward because it's pretty cool. Just put them on my Instagram stories. So give me one second to uh, start a story here. All right. Here we go. Hey, guys. Thank you for joining. David Sinclair is coming on board right now. I'm going to get him to join as soon as he requests to join the live. I've got him on the podcast. We just finished an epic podcast. I mean, it, it was really good. I'm going to put this out as soon as humanly possible. And uh, this is you know a guy who's actively working at Harvard uh, as a researcher on how we're going to live way longer than we're supposed to and the author of Lifespan. And uh, you're going to get to ask him questions after I get my first question for him, which is going to be the last question that you hear in the interview uh, when you listen to the whole interview on Bulletproof Radio. There we go. I see your request, David. And David Sinclair, PhD, added. All right, good deal. Uh, so my, my question for you, and if you're just joining in, uh, guys, this is David Sinclair, Harvard researcher, author of Lifespan, and uh, one of the really brilliant superhuman researchers out there, the guy behind NAD and NMN and nicotinamide riboside and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so first off, welcome to the Instagram Live, and then I'm gonna ask you this big question. You're supposed to say, hey, thanks, Dave. Hey, thanks, Dave. Tell me what to say, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> that works. All right, guys, we're really, we're rocking this. Uh, the dub. We're all gonna die. All right, none of that crap. All right, here's my big question for you to cap off our interview on Bulletproof Radio. Your general outlook on the virus, like what's this going to do to humanity uh, from an immune perspective, from a societal perspective? I and mean, you're, you've spent three weeks going really deep on the virus, looking at what it does, looking at how it's affecting populations. Where are you now? Well, so I, as I kept telling my wife, uh, Sandra, uh, the kids are not going back to school anytime soon. Um, most experts I talk to who actually understand epidemiology think that 
We're not going to go back to normal as a society probably for another year. Uh, we will go back to work just like China. So don't don't panic about that. The, the economy is going to get, get back on its feet hopefully soon. But life will not be the same uh, for probably a year, maybe even two. The virus is not going to go away by itself. Uh, either we half of us have to catch it or we need a vaccine, which maybe will come from China uh, in the next 12 to 18 months or one of the US companies will succeed in about 18 months or longer. And we're just hopeful that one of them is going to succeed. But I think that for humanity, there's it's not all doom and gloom. What makes me proud of, of humanity is that if you think about all of the history of life on Earth, going back, unless you believe in creation, it goes back at least three and a half, maybe four billion years. That's a long time, right? And this is the first time ever that a species that's all over the world has united to fight one foe. So I got to tell you, if you're listening to the show and you think the show is worth your time, there's a couple things you do. Number one, go to iTunes and rank the show. Give it some stars if you like it. Number two, go out there and support David, his research, his work in the world, read Lifespan. Number three, do the same thing for Superhuman because the stuff in those books is going to help you be resilient whether or not there's a pandemic, whether or not you're locked away at home. Uh, so now's your time to read, to learn, and to take action on making yourself superhuman so that you'll have a longer lifespan. See what I did there? And you'll actually be able to weather whatever life brings you, even if it's some stupid virus. On that note, stay bulletproof. See you next episode. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.